Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Discover a healthcare team that's always here for you at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1. The Environmental Protection Agency estimates that there are approximately 1,300 premature deaths annually in Ireland linked to air pollution. And they also recently published figures showing a high number of air pollution incidents in towns like Ennis in County Clare, Tralee in County Kerry and Letterkenny in County Donegal last year. So what's behind those high pollution levels? Where are the areas worst affected and what are the health impacts? I'm joined by John Wenger, who's Professor of Chemistry at University College Cork, and also Dr. Oshin O'Connell, who's a respiratory consultant at the Bon Secours Hospital. And thank you both for being with us today. Uh, Dr. O'Connell, Oshin, I'll start with you. I mean, 1,300 premature deaths a year, it's a significant number. So what kind of health conditions are we talking about that are linked to air pollution? Uh, that's a very good question, Claire, and thanks for having me on. Um, I suppose I, I think back to when I worked in the lung transplant unit in Ireland, and we'd sometimes recondition the lungs, getting them ready for transplant. And my best description of describing the lungs is the lungs are like a series of pipes going into balloons. And the balloons are kind of in a sponge-like uh, material, like so you can actually feel what a, a lung feels like. It's soft, it's spongy, air, it's able to move air in and out of the body easily. Broadly speaking, when we think of lung conditions, we think of what are called obstructive lung conditions. Uh, Roughly speaking, there's 500,000 people in Ireland with obstructive airways disease. And the two commonest ones we've probably heard of is asthma and COPD. The way I think about those conditions is it's as if somebody's narrowing the pipes going into the lungs. Mm -hmm. But the other kind of lung condition that we can have is what's called a restrictive lung problem. And what that's like is, if you think of the normal lung being soft and spongy, restrictive lung condition is one where the lung doesn't fill up to its adequate capacity. We all lose lung function over time, but people that are exposed to chronic air pollution um, and any kind of environmental toxin actually lose lung function anywhere between two to three times faster. That mightn't sound a lot, but actually over time that adds up a lot. So it's not just one individual exposure. Um, so going back to your, your spongy lung, balloon-like lung, as, as you explained, if air pollution is a constant factor of someone's environment, are you talking about a hardening of that spongy substance? Yeah, so, so you get what's called a loss of the elastic recoil. Uh, it becomes kind of much more tattooed, meaning like the if, if you think of a tattoo on the skin, the same kind of uh, effect happens in the lung when we're exposed to chronic airway irritants, meaning the body absorbs toxins, but there's certain toxins that the body can't get rid of. And instead what it does is it builds up inside in the lung. So uh, getting back to the sponge analogy, it's kind of like think of a, a sponge and you've just dipped it in sand. And it's never going to have the same elastic recoil properties as a, a soft sponge that has never been exposed to any airway irritants. Mm-hmm. OK, John, so let's uh, talk now about air pollution itself and what it is. What is air pollution? What are we talking about? So air pollution is, is where we have any added materials that go into the air. So they could be gases. And you may have heard of nitrogen dioxide or sulfur dioxide or carbon monoxide. Um, but also particles. So we have a large number of very small particles that can be emitted into the air from things like combustion sources, 
that's burning of anything really. Um, that could be, um, you know, emissions from traffic, and it could be uh, emissions from fires in the home. It could be emissions from industry. It could be emissions from agriculture, and so on. So there's a wide variety of sources of particles in particular. And but all of these materials, whether they're gases or particles that are moving through the air. A lot of those can be breathed into the respiratory system and obviously then they give rise to the health effects that uh, she was talking about. So, so given what you've said then, those emissions will be at their highest levels during the winter months, wouldn't they? They are indeed. Uh, and it's, it, it's now really um, flagged a lot in Ireland that our biggest problem really is with solid fuel burning during the winter months. And um, that report that you talked about, it, it's just a normal air quality bulletin that the EPA issues. Um, and what they show is the pollution again is higher in our smaller towns than it is even in the bigger cities Mm -hmm. and it isn't concentrated very much in towns that have uh, a large amount of solid fuel burning going on you're talking about towns the size of ennis tralee letterkenny i'm I'm from mccroom mccroom has a problem but many small towns across the country have that now and the epa network is picking up these emissions and picking up the values and reporting those. And how much has the geography of the area to do with the levels of air pollution in those towns? Yeah, that can be significant. Um, so, for example, if you take a town like Ennis, I think it has a particular problem because of its local geography. I think it's in a bit of a dip. OK, so what that means is that the air pollution is less likely to be dispersed. And so the concentrations will rise and people are breathing more pollution. Um, Enniscorthy, in Wexford, we'd be monitoring there. That has a similar problem. And McCroom, where I live, actually, also has a similar problem, but the town is set in a valley. Mm-hmm. And so the, the pollutants can linger and build up in concentration through the night. Um, and that's, that's why we sometimes get these exceedances. Particularly when you've got no wind, right? When it's a still day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I think the last few days we've had slow uh, wind conditions as well and that can really exacerbate the problems. The wind is our, our friend in many ways for dispersing pollution and when it's, um, when it's quiet and it's, it's, it's uh, still weather conditions, th- th- those are typical for air pollution uh, exceedances. OK, so Oshin, so let's come back now and talk about the impact on health because everyone will know when you walk into a room that has an open fire, maybe you're opening the door, you're causing a, a, a pullback with the draft and you can sense it straight away, can't you? you become irritated maybe your eyes start to water that's perhaps part of the the short-term impact on your body and on on your health but then if you repeat that process what's going on um i suppose part of the way i look at the body i i I sometimes when i'm talking to medical students i think of the body like a classic car and uh, basically there's short-term consequences and long-term consequences to chronic insults. So if you were told when you're born you've got one uh, car for life, you'd service that car every day, you'd look after every individual part. The effects of air pollution, they can be such subtle and gradual, but actually over time that builds up. Um, so think of the oil as uh, the air is like the oil going into a classic car. You want good quality air to preserve lung function. On average, everyone loses about 30 mils of lung function per year. A smoker loses about 70 mils of lung function a year. Now, there's huge variation in that between genetic factors and environmental factors. But actually, air pollution is a major contributing factor to an accelerated decline in lung function. And that can manifest in later life. It can manifest as breathlessness. It can manifest as coughs. It can manifest as an easy ability to pick up chest infections. It can manifest as frailty and reduced exercise tolerance. So if you 
just look at the long-term effects of these, it's very subtle. So on a day-to-day, you don't notice it happening in your body. This is a long-term consequence. There are short-term, there's very good data showing that actually transient high air pollution increases infective exacerbation rates of asthma, increases hospitalization rates for hospitals, and actually some athletes even track the air pollution quality in the area before they go out and train just so that they will train in better uh, air quality environments. Mm -hmm. I have a listener here who wants to know, is it okay to go for a walk at night because they feel there's so many fumes in the air from chimney smoke. Can this be bad for my lungs? I suppose that's about weighing up your risk, you know, the benefit of taking a walk versus what you're inhaling when you do so. Yeah, it's certainly poor quality air does increase your risk of chest infections. And I suppose one of the commonest symptoms that uh, I get referred on is is people that say that they've got a bad immune system, that they pick up chest infections easily. And I actually say most of the time that that's not the condition. Actually, they've probably got an undiagnosed obstructive airways disease, be it asthma, be it COPD, or be it a different condition. And a lot of those patients benefit from inhalers. So if somebody is finding that poor quality air is causing overly dramatic symptoms in them, it may be that they've got an under undiagnosed obstructive airways disease and they may benefit from inhalers down the line. Mm-hmm. You said earlier on that each one of us loses 30 mils of lung function a year. Is there any way to mitigate against that or is that going to happen regardless of what we do? Um, it gets back to the kind of uh, the quality of the air. Like, like staying fit and active preserves lung function, avoiding airway toxins. To give you an example, um, whilst I said 75% of obstructive lung disease in Ireland is caused by smoking and 25% by other airway toxins, in China and India, it's actually 60% is caused by airway toxins and irritants from indoor cooking, indoor barbecuing, poor quality air, poor ventilation. So if you can reduce those chronic airway irritants and avoid passive smoking, be cautious around vaping, uh, all of those are chronic traumas to the lung. It doesn't sound a lot, but just take for an example, uh, an average male in terms of how much they breathe out in one second when they're 20, it's 4,500 millilitres. When they're 60, that's 3,500 millilitres. So they've lost 1,000 millilitres per breath in the first second breathing out. The way I sometimes think about it is if you breathe out through a straw, the amount of air you get out in the first second is very low, so the elastic recoil of your lung is very poor than if you were breathing out through a much wider pipe. The same kind of consequence happens with chronic airway irritants, uh, such as, as John mentioned, the nitric dioxide, the acid vapors, the elemental carbon, the traffic uh, fumes, and other ambient ozones. We're all very conscious of our breathing as we're, as we're talking here. Oshin. John, to come back to you then, we have this cost of living crisis, which has been particularly impacted by the cost of fuel coming into our homes. Now, people as a result are burning fuel, aren't they? Um, more people are burning more fuel domestically than perhaps they were. They were happier to rely on gas and perhaps oil in the, in the lead up to this current crisis and that is going to impact uh, air pollution. Yeah, I think there was a concern heading into this winter that with the cost of living crisis, people would switch to using uh, solid fuels more because they're cheaper, um, not necessarily knowing that they're way more polluting than burning gas or oil for home heating. Um, but obviously that's a problem which is very difficult to deal with. Fuel poverty is a genuine issue in many places around Ireland and those people genuinely do need support. 
um, you know, there was the introduction of the um, new solid fuel regulations on the 31st of October as well. So this is why I think people, and especially the media, are, are looking at this in a bit more detail now. They're looking for any impact. But any impact of that may already be offset by the cost of living crisis, people burning more solid fuels. And also the fact that I think that a lot of people were stocking up. So people that like their uh, peat and, and, and coal fires were stocking up in the summer months ahead of the winter. So, you know, anybody looking for any benefits from the new uh, solid fuel regulations, I think this winter we won't see that very easily. Um, hoping for next winter, uh, I think... Um, will be will push the benefits. Do you think an awareness around the impacts of air pollution, the conversation we're having this morning, for example, might lead people naturally to gravitate away from burning fuel? Yes, I, I think that's key. I mean, whenever we've done research and we've also engaged with the public, some people say, I didn't know that you know, a, wood, uh, a wood burner was causing lots of pollution. And of course, the pollution goes right into their own neighbourhood and could offend you. Uh, you know, could affect people going for walks in the evenings, could affect training, right, for you know, kids uh, training and, and so on. So people don't necessarily realise that, you know, their, their fire in their home is causing that impact. Um, so I think a bit more awareness would be great, um, you know, and then people might realise that, hey, you know, I don't need to use the fire so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be a good thing. And obviously the people that rely solely on solid fuels for home heating. We need to help them out of that because I think we do need to move away from solid fuel home heating. I mean, it's not sustainable anyway. And so we would get the benefits, um, not just for air quality and health, but also for climate as well. You know, So to move away completely from solid fuel burning, I think should be one of our major goals. Yeah, it's going to be quite a, a job of work, though, to convince some people to move away from those methods of, of heating their homes. They're so ingrained in this uh, country. It's been fascinating to talk to you both, Professor John Wenger and Dr Oshin O'Connell. Dermot Ferreter will be with us next. Today with Clareburn. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player app.